Haggai or Haggai. Um, now, the, the name Haggai is only three letters long. The first letter is Ch, so we already got that one. All right? it's, it's Haggai or Haggai, all right? um, and it's the, the G sound in the middle. It's got a little dot, which means you double it. Don't worry about it. Um, but um, if you want to find it and you don't want to use the page numbers, just open your Bible until you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Get to the beginning of Matthew, start going backwards just a couple pages at a time because those books were all real short. And you will get Malachi, the Italian prophet. All right, then, no, Malachi, um, and then uh, Zachariah, and then you will hit uh, Haggai. Um, so uh, this, is a, this is a short book. Everybody's going, why couldn't we read this one last week? Um, it's only two chapters long, um, and, and, and he is a unique prophet. Haggai is interesting because unlike almost all the prophets in the Bible, people listen to him. Uh, almost every prophet in the Bible, he says, God has this to say, and people immediately start sharpening knives, saws, making nooses. They're getting ready to go. Their documents get burned. Um, I mean, just it's just everything that could possibly go wrong with you. The queen tries to kill you. Pro- when God calls you to be a prophet, in fact, my favorite is Amos. He he gets called to be a prophet, and he gets the the uh, court official opposes him, and he goes, "You think I want to be here?" And he's like, I was perfectly happy to eat fruit off of trees and follow goats around on the backside of the wilderness, but God called me, and so I had to speak. Um, so most of the prophets, they have this terrible, terrible job. I mean, Jeremiah spends most of they call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. He's not weeping because he's sad about the message. He's weeping because he knows people are going to get on his case about everything he says. I mean, they throw him in a pit. Um, the, the Babylonians have to rescue him from the other Jews. That's how bad Jeremiah's situation is. So Haggai is not like that at all. Um, he has one of the unique roles of prophecy um, that people actually listen to him, which is great. Um, in your bulletin, there's a little insert about the history, uh, a very broad overview of the history of Israel that gives you a little bit of context. Now, it's, it's, it's imprecise because the history of Israel is incredibly um, convoluted and wrapped around in all kinds of political powers, but I wanted to give you an idea where we are. Haggai is one of the post-exilic uh, prophets. So uh, the prophets, basically, if you read the Hebrew Bible, um, if you were to read the Hebrew Bible, it's divided up into three sections, Torah or law, uh, Nevim or prophets, um, and then uh, um, Ketuvim, the writings. Um, And uh, the Nevim are divided up into two parts. The prophets are divided up into the former prophets and the latter prophets. And Haggai is actually part of a book that in, in Hebrew they just call the Twelve. They're like, it's not even worth remembering these guys' names. Just call them the Twelve, the short book, stick them in one scroll, and we're all set. Um, and his prophecy is written um, around the year 500 B.C. So he's much later than David, who's around 1,000 B.C., um, but he's still 500 years before uh, Jesus and the apostles. And he's in this post-exile period. The people of Israel, um, they had built a kingdom. The kingdom got divided. The northern kingdom was captured by the Assyrians um, in 722, and then the Babylonians captured the southern kingdom um, really over the course of about 25 years. Um, But they finally take them into captivity in 586, and they raise the temple to the ground. Um, They destroy it so completely that there's just nothing left of it. 
Um, there are, I mean, they've done archaeological expeditions on the, the Temple Mount trying to find any shred of evidence of this existence of the temple. And the best they can go is a couple little seals that might be the names of temple officials. It's just completely wiped out. And then, um, and that was done by the Babylonians. And then after about 70 years or so, the Babylonians themselves are conquered by a guy named uh, um, Cyrus, or Harush, um, who is later called Cyrus the Great. And he is a Persian. And he's a strategic genius. He's an amazing guy. Um, uh, really, And he had been actually prophesied by the prophet Isaiah um, uh, about 100 years before that he was going to come and he was going to be, he's actually called the Messiah in Isaiah. Um, he's called the Anointed One. Not the Messiah, the Messiah, but the Messiah of this exilic period. He's going to be the chosen one. All Messiah just means is anointed one. And he's called the shepherd of my people. I mean, that, and he's a pagan. He's a Persian. He, he's, a, he's, I mean, he, he's a Zoroastrian. He's weird. I mean, but, but uh, he's chosen by God. And the first thing that he does, or one of the very first things he does, is he lets the Jews go back to Jerusalem. And so they, they go back, in his first or second year, they go back, and they eventually get a leader whose name is Zerubbabel. Um, and uh, that's a great name. Baby's born. What should we call him? Let's call him something nobody can pronounce. Because Mahershala Hajbaz is already taken. And, um, and they, they name him Zerubbabel. That was one of Isaiah's kids. Um, and uh, Literally. And, um, and they name him Zerubbabel, and he is a descendant of David. He's, he's technically rightful king. Um, of, of Jerusalem and so he uh, Judah and he's made the governor and they go back and they start working on reestablishing Jerusalem now now at its height uh, uh, at its greatest height the kingdoms of, of Israel were not enormous they, they were not gigantic I mean we're talking about a piece of land that's only the size of Delaware this is not um, New Jersey might be a better example it's not a big place um, I, when we were talking about David and stuff a couple years ago, I put up a map. David's entire kingdom is basically the Massachusetts border to just north of Manchester. It's, it's not very big. Um, but it's extremely wealthy for a lot of reasons. We won't get into that. Um, but when they come back from the exile, they are just basically living on the edge of the world. I mean, this is, this is, not, this is not a place you want to live. Um, and these folks have abandoned places that they lived in Babylon, they come back. And so they lay the foundations of the temple, of a new temple. So they lay the foundation of a new temple, and they start the sacrifices back up. And this is all in the book of Ezra. And everybody's super excited. Now, there's something significant about that, because once they start the sacrifices up in Jerusalem, they actually will go continuously from this time. It's about 520, 530 uh, BC, they will go continuously until 70 AD. They will continue the sacrifice. They'll be perpetually uh, maintained and never stop. Like there's never a day where they don't do it. it it's continuous for that period. Um, so it's significant for them. Um, and then a group of Samaritans, and this is in, Ezekiel, in Ezra 4, a group of Samaritan people who are uh, transplants. They're, they're, the Assyri Assyrians brought Gentiles to live in the area. Oh, I said Assyrians and Siri popped up uh, on my phone. Uh, the, they brought this group of people down to live um, in, uh, in the northern part of the kingdom and they had mingled with the, the, the Hebrews and they, they formed this group called the Samaritans 
And uh, the Samaritans want to come and be a part of this temple thing, and Zerubbabel tells them no, that, uh, that they can't be a part of it. And so they um, do what all good civilized people do. They write a complaining letter to the boss. Um, they write a letter to the king of Persia, uh, probably to one of the, one of the, the regents, because um, they, they Ezra uses a name of a king that doesn't rule until many years later. Um, but um, it, it, Ezra also is really terrible with chronology, but I don't want to get into that. Um, they write a letter, and, and the, the, the Israelites are ordered to stop. They can't finish their temple. They can do their sacrifices, they can live there, but they can't do anything else. And so they, they're there for a while until the first year of another king named Darius, or Darius. Um, and Darius is a, a usurper. He takes over the, the, the kingdom over the course of about four years, from 522 to 5, uh, 518. Um, he fights a bunch of battles that you don't care about. Um, and, uh, and Darius becomes king. And um, then uh, these two prophets show up. Haggai and Zechariah. And they, they're paired together in Ezra, so we know that they, they're together. We know a little bit about Zechariah. We know his father's name. We know nothing about Haggai. Nothing. He just shows up. And he shows up, and he's going to speak to the people of Israel who are living in Jerusalem. It's a city. It has no walls yet. Um, it's a city with a foundation of a temple. And then everybody's happy. Everybody's living around. And Haggai um, is going to come, and he's going to speak specifically to Zerubbabel. Chapter 1 and verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak. They're, they're both in Zechariah, which is the next book. We're not going to read that. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now this is important. I just want you to catch this. This, this title... Haggai will always use the phrase the Lord of hosts. And and if you if you're you know modern English speaker, that might sound a little weird. This is host in the sense of a military um, group, like like soldiers all gathered for battle. That's what this this Hebrew word host means. It's not like a bunch of people opening their door, hello, welcome. No. Um, it's it's that's the idea, the host or the multitude, the, the crowded army. And so he will use this title repeatedly, repeatedly. Why would he use this title? Because um, the people of Israel are no longer a kingdom. They're, they're just a bunch of people living under Persian rule. They no longer have an army. They no longer have power. They no longer have authority. When a bunch of Samaritans write a nasty letter to the king, they have to stop building their temple. They are completely powerless. And so he says, he just reminds them, thus says the Lord of hosts. The guy who's in charge, the, the general, he hasn't forgotten who you are. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This, by the way, is the verse that God used to call me into ministry. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? That verse right there. God said to me, this is your job. Your job is to get God's people out and build my kingdom. That's what your job is going to be the rest of your life. And I, like Amos, went, I was just eating fruit. Anyway, now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, there it is again, consider your ways. 
You have sown much and harvest little. You eat, but you never, never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into, ba- into a bag with holes. I don't think anybody needs to eat eggs this week with that meaning. It means the money just falls. Thus says the Lord of hosts. There it is again. Consider your ways. He says it again. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. That I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain and the new wine, the oil and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labor. Just real quick, I, I want to just consider this phrase, consider your ways, because I think this is important. The phrase, consider your ways, in Hebrew, means set your heart to the, your path. In other words, uh, get your head together. When this is, this statement, it's not a reproof. And, and I, I, I want you to understand this is not God yelling. This is God saying to his people, look where you're walking. Look where you're going. Examine your direction. It's like when you're walking with one of your kids in the grocery store and Count Chocula distracts them. And they begin to meander off. And you look at them and go, Hey, hey, you know where you are? Hey, hey, where are you going? Have you ever said that? I, say, I wind up saying that to my dog all the time. Where are you going? He's trying to burrow through a wall. You know, he thinks the cat, when the cat goes downstairs, he hides behind the recliner. So Wallace barks until the cat goes down the stairs, and then he runs behind the, count, the recliner trying to find the, dog, the cat. And he's never there because he went downstairs. But he's a dog. Anyway, um, so... So the, uh, but he says to the people of Israel, he says to Israel, he says, he says, set your heart to your way. Where are you walking? Are you walking on autopilot? Are you not aware of where you're going? Have you not seen what has happened to you? Where you've meandered off, pay attention to the road. How many times do we say that to teenagers that we're teaching to drive? Pay attention to the road. The text message can wait, Right? And he says two things. He follows this phrase with two, fr- two things. First, in verse 5, he says, consider your ways. In verse 6, he says, you have sown much and harvested little. Haven't you noticed the issue? That's all he says to Israel. He's like, haven't you noticed that you're planting seed and nothing's growing? Didn't you want to stop and go, hey, maybe we're doing something wrong. This is something, that he's, like, he's saying to him, hey, have you noticed that this isn't working? Have you noticed that things aren't going on? Or are you just not paying attention? Are you just not paying attention? Consider your ways. He says, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. What's so hard to notice about this? Who's supposed to be your provider? I am. You're not being provided for. What does that mean? And he's not being, I mean, God's not being mean. He's just trying to draw their attention to what's right in front of them. 
that, that all the truths are right there in front of them and they're missing it. And then he, he uses this consider your ways again. He says, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. What are you still doing here? This is what he's, he's just saying. Here's the problem. Here's the path you're supposed to be on. Haven't you noticed the details? Hey, what are you still doing here? Those truths have changed. Does the God of heaven. I mean, how many of you know this passage and know it makes you go, I'm living in this world. I'm living in this world. And by a minute, we mean next Tuesday. Someday soon, you know. You know, the, the old joke. I don't understand why wife keeps nagging me about moving the refrigerator. She asked me to do it. I told her I would do it. She keeps saying it every Tuesday. You know, it's like, this is, you know, this, this whole, we have to do this thing. And this is what he says. Consider your ways. Look at your path. Notice what's going on. Why are you still here? In other words, what God is saying is, once you know what you're supposed to be doing, and once you lead yourself to the path of what it is that you're supposed to be doing, do it. Just do it. Let's go. Um, Moses himself didn't follow the Lord's steps. Um, Moses himself, and that's why he never posed that you don't, I will. He didn't raise his hand. There's so much in the book of Moses we could just spend an hour on. We could talk about it forever. Now, the reality is, what we're seeing in Jacob's vision today, when he says to Joseph, uh, consider consider your ways, really, these people's ways are not
God is passionate about you. No, he is not. He is a mocker. He is lost on you. He is tuned out. Uh, we have one dog. Um, I'm not sure how many times I can say that right now, but we have our friend Tabby. This kitty is larger than me, okay? This kitty is more than my kid. And you know how it is. The first kitty responds to everything you say the best. The kitty is passionate. And whoa, hey, can you give me the dog? By the time she's given the toy, like literally that toy means the most of it and she's like, no, let it die. You know, whereas we had one kid, so the various kitties that we put in foster care for many years and that we knew from that day Ironically, the amount of times we voted to sell them to various kitties meant that we were cheating on the kitty. Um, but no, we, we were so focused on that. We were so we were so drawn to that group. And, and by the time, over time, we just kind of get we just get used to it. The the kitty's background noise. The kitty's not going to do anything to say, yeah, yeah, whatever. Let's go use that in the backyard. We'll all come back and play. Um, and then every once in a while, something major happens, and suddenly it's just natural again. Like, oh my gosh, I can say no. I can, I can say don't want to, I, none of you have ever had that problem. Have you ever had a kitty where you do your work and realize that you don't sleep for 20 minutes? Like, like when you drive, I used to drive to school and wake up halfway there. It's like, oh, what happened? Oh, I, I ended up having to pee for today. All right, you know, they, they, you know we, we tend to get into a lull and a sense of this is just the way things are. And then something happens to us, and we wake up, and we're like, we've got to drive back. We've got to drive back. And that happens to this little kid. They met opposition. They responded. But then they let down their rhetoric to demand of you the time and the godliness that they're going to yield to what they think is their job. Every one of us has a, a, a family member who is either looking to us for the next step in their discipleship that is either a Christian looking to join the generation that sees and is called back to Jesus, or it's not a believer and you've tried to share the gospel with them and they've put up roadblocks. And isn't it hard to keep a passion to share love and make yourself available? Because it's comfortable to dwell in this little comfort zone. It doesn't look like me. God has a job for us. We were called to be a light and a role in the lives of others. And just because there are roadblocks in the way and sometimes we can we can be delayed and sometimes there's challenges we can't overcome on our own. We get lulled into a sense of security. That's as far as God's going to let us take that path. That's as far as God's going to take us in this particular role in this place. Oh well. stuff that you don't want me to do. I mean, how many people say, ha, shut up. He goes his own way. You know, every single parent in this room wants every one of their children to, to, to have a, a, a path to be, to be walking with the Lord. Every Christian parent wants their kids to be walking with the Lord. None of you go, oh, well, let's leave Brian alone. We got that. Like, we, we all, you know, let's drive in. Um, but it's just because it's just natural to do that. It just creeps in like, well, that one let's drive down. Vice versa. <laughs> Every way it just slides. All right? Um, no, we, we all naturally have that passion. And yet, it's like outside of that, in our lives, we have people that God has called to be missionaries in a 
doesn't have to be filled with yelling and bellowing. Sometimes it's just your simple voice saying, here I am, let's do what I've called you to do. Lord, we ask that you would give us clarity of our hearts as we walk with you. Um, Open our minds and our souls to every role that you have called us to. Make us aware, and not only aware, but make us actively engaged in the things that we have taken for granted, set it in settled it in and rolled with it in our lives. It amazes me, God, that there is absolutely nothing you don't do extraordinarily intimately with us. And Lord, I know that you do that in bizarre ways in the lives of every one of us. Lord, help us to do your perfect, extraordinary things by your perfect this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, you, our Father God, creator, maker of heaven and earth, holy spirit who gives us life and breath and empowers